0: Two classic topics, one terrifying episode. Today we venture into a collection of allegedly true scary stories about the woods and the paranormal. There will be ghosts, and there will be ghouls, and I hope you can survive them both. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails. If you want me to narrate your true scary stories, send them to me at darkstories.org. I'm looking for scary stories from the Great Lakes, but if you have a scary work story and want it narrated on an upcoming podcast series that we have in the works, send it to us instead at eeriecast.com slash submit. By the way, if you want to support our creepy shows and enjoy episodes without pesky automatic ads, the ones read by random people, sign up for EerieCast Plus at eeriecast.com plus. It's only about three bucks a month. Thank you. Now, let's begin. Creature in the Springs from Dead Wisp 99. I live in central Florida, specifically Crystal Springs in Pasco County. Around here, there isn't much to do, other than roam the dirt roads and backwoods. But there is a river that everyone goes to for either swimming, fishing, or to get together and party called Crystal Springs River. The most well-known spot there is called the Rope Swing, obviously due to the old rope everyone uses to play in the river. In order to get there, you have to go down beside the bridge and walk half a mile along the river through mud, trees, and sidestep the occasional water moccasin. Along the way, there are landmarks to identify how far away from the Rope Swing you are, such as fishing spots, which are close to the bridge in front, the washout, which is about halfway, and finally the rope swing itself. The entire walk, you're surrounded by thick woods. I've had only one other bad experience at the river that involved damaging the depth perception in my right eye, but that's not really important for this story. My encounter takes place at said river. It was me, my friend who's like a brother to me, his older brother, and another friend. Let's refer to them as T, M, and C respectfully. That day we were all bored to death and didn't have anything to do. So T said we should go to the rope swing to hang out and smoke and do some fishing. That sounded better than nothing to us. So we gathered up our poles, tackle box, and bud. T also brought some firearms. As we got there and began unloading everything for our hour and a half trek through the mud, I checked the time on my phone. I checked beforehand because the signal sucks deeper in the woods. The time read somewhere around 6pm if I recall correctly. We walked the path around the concrete barrier and passed the two fishing spots where everyone else usually fished at. We always went to the rope swing because we hated people walking up on us while we were smoking. As we got closer to the washout, we started feeling like we were being watched. M actually spoke up, and said, Y'all feel that too, right? We looked at each other, and agreed that we did. But T, being the leader of our group, said, Dang man, you're paranoid. We haven't even smoked yet. It's probably just a hog. You're not scared of Miss Piggy, are you? We knew hogs were all over these woods. That's why we brought the firepower. So we just agreed and kept walking, and after about 20 minutes or so, the feeling went away. As we made it to about 15 feet past the washout, I was talking to him about wanting to build a hardcore base in the ruined castle on the Ragnarok map in Ark, and before I could finish my sentence, we all smelled something horrible, like mildew and wet mold. We scanned our surroundings, trying to pinpoint the source. Then C shouted, What is that he pointed up the trail and we looked the way he was pointing and up that trail about 10 feet away from us we saw this well it was some creature crawling out of the woods going across the trail towards the river this creature was terrifying its skin was a horrific shade of gray its legs were long and angled in awkward ways Its arms were human in shape, but they were too long, too skinny, and at the ends, it had claw-like fingers. As I looked closer at the claws, they were covered in a red-colored liquid, which I assumed later was blood. I could not see its face, because by the time we saw it, its head was hidden behind one of the trees next to the river. All four of us watched in shock as it got to the river's edge and began to squat low to the ground, kind of like a bullfrog. Then, in an instant, it sprung up and leapt across the river. Keep in mind, this part of the river is about 16 feet across. The thing was able to clear that in one jump, landing safely on the other side. Suddenly, I was shaken out of my horrified state by T, firing his thirty-eight revolver at this thing followed by M unloading the twenty-two at it. The thing stood there facing away from us, until T and M had fired all their rounds. After the last round, the thing slowly stood all the way up, reaching nearly seven feet tall. That's when it turned to face us. We finally saw its face, and I'll never forget it. It had a flat-looking face with two giant grayish-white eyes. It had no nose, but rather two slits where the nose should be. Its mouth is what scared the living heck out of me. It had huge, razor-sharp teeth that were stained red, and two giant fangs that reminded me of snake fangs in the front. We all watched in horror as this thing that had just been shot by 6.38 rounds and about 17.22 rounds let out a terrifying sound which was similar to a mix between a gator's snarl and a snake's hiss. Before turning and charging into the woods, I looked at T and said, We need to get out of here right now. We booked it back to T's truck. As we got to the truck, the sun was beginning to set. T and M hopped into the cab, while C and I hopped in the back. We tore out of the trees and towards T's house. But before we left, I looked back towards the river. I swear to Odin, that there, right inside the tree line on the other side, I saw that thing again, staring at us and bearing those terrible things. After we got back to T's house, we ran inside and locked the door. The sun had already set, and we wasted no time smoking to relax ourselves. Now T's house, which was in reality a fifth wheel mobile home, Was situated on the edge of a swamp. That swamp bordered his house and the woods that surrounded the river. He was paranoid and didn't want to take any chances with that thing. C told us that he had to go home to his girlfriend and son. His truck was parked just outside T's gate, so we stepped out with him and watched as he got in his truck and left. The whole time, T held onto that revolver really close, and M still had that rifle. We went back inside and began to smoke again. As the night went on, midnight came around. By then we'd forgotten about what we'd seen. Now we were just sitting at the table, talking about random stuff. I think we were talking about the show Vikings. Suddenly, we hear it. The same creepy sound that creature had made. Only this time, it was coming from the swamp. That freaking thing had tracked us down. When we heard this, We all became sober pretty quick. T's dog, a pit bull named Athena, perked up her ears and went into protective mode. She stared at the door, snarling and baring her teeth. We grabbed the guns which we had kept next to us, turning off the lights and hunkering down in the small kitchen as T held tightly to Athena's collar. All our guns were aimed at the door, from outside. We heard as this thing began to make small, weird clicking sounds. We listened as the clicking circled the house and made its way up onto the roof. Eventually, it came back around to the front door. We listened as the thing began to make that hissing sound again, but this time in a lower pitch. It stayed there in front of the door, hissing and clawing at the door with its giant claws, To our horror, we watched as the moonlight showed the silhouette of one of its claws being scratched down the window on the front door. This hissing, clicking, and scratching went on all night. When we at last saw the sun trickling through the window, everything had finally stopped. We smoked again to calm ourselves down and headed to sleep. I was awakened by M shaking me at some point. What is it? I said to him in a groggy voice. Dude, you need to see this. I got up and followed him outside to T. Look at my door, bro, T said as I walked over to him. M closed the front door to the house, and that's when I saw them, giant gashes covering the door and huge scratches all across the glass of the window. Is that... That's from the freaking thing from last night, M said before I could finish my sentence. A few days later, I went back to T's house and noticed he had changed his front door. As I walked into the house, I noticed the old door still covered in gashes and scratches was leaning against the wall. I walked over and sat at the table next to T. I asked him, Hey, you think it'll come back? I pray it doesn't. "'Cause anything that can walk away "'from getting pummeled by all those rounds, "'it's something I don't want to mess with.' "'He said to me as he stared at the old door. "'We never really mentioned it again after that. "'I don't know what that thing was, "'and I hope I never see it again. "'To anyone going to Crystal Springs River "'and Crystal Springs, Florida, be careful. "'There's something out there, and it can find you.' I've had several unexplained moments in my life. I'll share a few here. When I was nine or 10 years old, I had my cousins come over. One was a girl my age, and one was a boy a year younger than me. I also have a sister who's five years younger than me, and for this story, we'll call her Sarah. My cousins and I were in my room. My younger cousin was asleep on my bed, and my sister was sleeping on the couch that's connected to the kitchen. It was late at night, 12 to 1 a.m. We were talking about something I don't remember exactly what, until a certain sound cut us both off. It was a whisper that seemed to have come from the kitchen. It wasn't a normal whisper, though. It was loud and raspy, and it wasn't any voice that we recognized. But it wasn't that that was scariest. It's what we heard it say that really terrified me. I'll never forget it. It said, Psst, "Sarah, come here." This voice did say more than that, but I wasn't able to catch all of it, but I did catch that. And I do remember it calling for my sister as well. That's when my cousin and I looked at each other with wide, terrified eyes, asking one another in unison, "Did you hear that?" Worried about my sister, we looked out my door to where the sound came from but there was nothing there. I ran across the house then to my parents room, opening the door to see they were both asleep. Then I ran back to my room, terrified, and I didn't leave that room for the remainder of the night. This second story happened when I was 13, about to be 14. It was summertime and we had recently moved. The house needed to be repaired so we stayed in a trailer in the back. My sister was eight at the time. While at this house, I've had gravel thrown at me. I told my parents, and they said it was just acorns falling from the big oak tree that was near the trailer. I believed this explanation until one time in broad daylight, I saw a big piece of gravel hurtling towards my face. I was able to move out of the way, but the oak tree wasn't there, and the direction it came from was our open field which was about the size of a football field. I looked around to see if it was my sister doing it, but no one was in the field. Then what happened in the house later is what made me feel really sick. You see, when we lived in the trailer, we had to go inside the house to use the bathroom. One night, my sister needed to use the bathroom, but was scared, so my parents made me go with her. I grabbed the flashlight and we went into the dark house with nothing but the moonlight and a flashlight lighting it up. Across from the bathroom was the room that was going to be my room when the house was complete. While waiting on my sister, I needed to go to the bathroom too. Once she came out, I went in asking her to wait for me this time. I gave her the light so she didn't hurt herself in the dark. When I was done in the bathroom, I came out and my sister wasn't there. Annoyed, I looked around to see if she was trying to scare me. Then, in my would-be room, I see her short silhouette in front of the window that's on the back wall of my room. Hey, I can see you. I said to her, but she didn't respond. I then say, come on. And still, she didn't come towards me. She just stood there. She was only slightly moving. Because of that, I knew it wasn't just a shadow I was looking at. I then got this uneasy feeling. I shouted out to my sister, I'm gonna leave without you. Then I ran out of the house as fast as I could. When I made it back to the trailer, I waited at the door a little while to see if she'd come out, but she didn't. I opened the door to the trailer and I see my sister inside. I knew she couldn't have got there before me. I would have seen her pass me. I asked her if she was hiding in my room and I knew what the answer would be. She said no. With many thoughts in my head, I went to bed. The following morning, I looked over to my room to see if there was a ladder or something at my window, some way for my sister to beat me back to the trailer. But there wasn't. My room was empty. A bit later, a few weeks or so, we go into the attic and see what the old house had left in it, when looking around, we found an old military suit, which was small, small enough to fit my sister. In my brain, I was thinking of that shadow I saw in my room, which is about the same height, and I figured those two things are connected. Demon at Old Gun Church My fiance is from a little coastal town in South Carolina. One summer we went to visit his mother and our friends for about 3 weeks. It was a fun time, with lots of sun, sand, and great memories. I'm from up north, so spending time in the south is a treat for me. And being a big history buff, having friends who knew the area was like having my own living history book. One thing that's important to know about the south is that every nook and cranny of every town is haunted. Whether by dark secrets, history, or religion, the South has it all. The one particular big draw in this area was an abandoned church known as Old Gun. It's an old Civil War-era church with a trauma-rich history. It had been burned down twice, rebuilt once, and the preacher is said to have fallen from the bell tower to his death. Now it sits a husk of its former self, decrepit and decaying, with untended, sunken graves in the back of it. Did I mention this church sits in the middle of the Carolina swamps? Anyway, it was a late summer evening, and my fiancé, Silas, our friend Tara, and I were driving out to pick up our friend, Lapis. Lapis lives in the boonies of Silas's hometown, and of course, we had to drive to go get her in the pitch dark. Once we arrived at Lapis's house, we began to make our way back when the four of us got the idea to visit Old Gun. It was a new moon night, and well, three of the four of us were witches, so it seemed like a fun idea at the time. Hey May, take a ride at this gas station to Exodus Road. Lapis said to me as we made our way down the country road. Exodus Road? Jeez, that doesn't help with the spooky aspect. I laughed. As soon as we took the turn down Exodus Road, a wave of anxiety rippled through the car. Our boisterous laughter was changed to nervous chuckles. We began poking fun at the idea of any of this creepy lore being true. We all believed it, of course, but we wanted to pretend to be strong, just a little longer. It seemed the longer we drove into the night, the louder we all got, hoping our false sense of joy would press back out on the encroaching fear and darkness. A few more bends and winds in the road, and a rough left turn we finally arrived at our destination. The facade of the church loomed high into the dark night sky, behind an old chain-link fence and sign posted in the nearby pine tree. The sign read, Warning, trespassers will be prosecuted. Smile, you're on camera. We're here, I said cheerfully, hiding the unease I felt as I peered into the illuminated front door, then to the blown-out stained-glass window. The only light around were the headlights of the car and the few stars illuminating the sky. We all sat there in the car for a moment, unsure of what to do, what to expect, or how to proceed. I turned off the car, forcing us all to make a decision. Lapis and I were the first ones out of the car. We stood nearby, just looking around. Did you guys see that? Silas asked, pointing to the doorway. I think I saw like a black mass slink from one side of the door to the other. He informed us, and we all turned to look. Then a loud grunt came from nearby and right behind us. Nope, Lapis and I exclaimed. My heart picked up. That's a wild boar, Lapis continued. It's mad and it's close. Don't know about you guys, but I don't feel like getting gored tonight. I replied. Same. Said Silas. So we all climbed back into the car. I turned the car back on, put the headlights on the church, and we rolled down our windows. There was another grunt, and one shortly after that that didn't seem quite right. Suddenly, I get this sensation that something just isn't right, and I began to feel as if my left arm had electricity coursing through it. My heart sank into my stomach because I knew that there's something here with us, and whatever it was, it wasn't good. To further my fear, the night had grown unbearably still and quiet. I've always seemed to be a magnet for the paranormal. It started when I was six, and I saw the spirit of my recently deceased grandfather in broad daylight. I think I'm sensitive to others' emotions and energies, and in the past year or so, I've been harnessing this as a way to connect with my craft. So I know when a spirit or things are bad or good, by which side of my body fills it first. If the right side of my body fills it first, it's usually a benevolent entity. But if my left side fills it first, it always means whatever it is, is bad. Another grunt, and the rest of our party mentions that they heard the boar. By then my head is beginning to swim, and I'm too afraid to look to the left of me. I knew Lapis was already looking in that direction but I felt as though if I looked over there, I'd see something I did not want to see. That's not a bore. That's something pretending to be a bore. Lapis said. That's all the confirmation I needed to know my feeling was right. My arm began to feel stiff now, and my mouth went dry. Silas jokingly tried to guess what it was, but Lapis was staring intently out the window. I could see her in the rearview mirror. I waited, staring into the doorway of the church, hoping and praying that I wouldn't see whatever Lapis saw. The silence became deafening, and ringing filled my left ear. My grip on the steering wheel tightened. We have to leave now. Don't turn left, Lapis spoke with intensity. I threw the car into reverse. A sense of urgency and panic coursed through my body at her words. Sure thing. We're leaving right now, and I'm not turning right, I said to her to let her know I got the message. Whatever you do, do not look back, she spoke with an authority that I knew wasn't false. I locked all the doors, rolled up the windows, and I hit the gas. Against my better judgment, I took a moment to look into the backup camera, and I wish I hadn't. In the dim light of the brake lights, I saw something I'll never forget. About six feet back was a large rolling mass of what seemed to be thick black smoke with the occasional glint of red eyes. It seemed to move towards the car. Without hesitation, I slammed my foot on the gas. We threw gravel from our tires as the complete and utter sense of terror and dread filled me. We then sped off into the night. When the church was out of sight, I slowed down only a bit as the area was crawling with deer. I didn't feel like totaling my fiancé's mother's car in the process of getting away from this thing. What did you see? Silas and Tara clamored. I didn't want to answer. My focus was on the road. I'll tell you when we get somewhere inside without any windows. It doesn't want me to talk about it right now. Lapis said in monotone. She was trying not to frighten the group, but I could feel it. Without looking, I knew that I would have to keep my eyes forward and keep driving, otherwise it was going to get us. Looking behind me would let it in, then we'd all be doomed. The car grew silent after a while, and Silas insisted on playing music that added to the mood. Of course, my lovable idiot of a fiancé didn't see a thing, so he thought everything was fine. But it wasn't. It really wasn't but I didn't want to alarm anyone. I could feel it, though, creeping through the third row to the middle row where Lapis sat, and a chill ran down my spine. Lapis was unusually quiet, and I knew something was terribly wrong. A flash outside my window in the ditch of the shoulder drew my attention, and my blood ran cold. In the darkness, I could see skulls, hundreds of them shimmering and rolling in the dark, like they were being carried by the mass I'd seen before lapis would later tell me she saw this too i felt it again the stiffness in my left arm now a shock running up my left leg as the skulls seemed to multiply and fill more of the darkness i get this sense of pure anger just unbridled malevolence coming from these skulls get out it urged with its presence get out you do not belong here i wanted to tell it that we were leaving to please leave us alone. I felt the need to speed up and put my eyes back on the road, to be ever vigilant for a renegade deer. Even my line of sight in the front of the car wasn't safe. As I drove, I saw a swirling black mist on the inside roof of the car. I felt the ice form in my veins, and I knew we had to book it out of there. It was at this point Lapis would inform me. She felt two sets of hands on her pulling her into the seat and keeping her from being able to speak. "'Babe, slow down. The ten-mile curve is coming up.' Silas warned. "'I slowed up, just in time to take the narrowest, sharpest curve I have ever taken in my life. And of course, whatever this was, wasn't done with us.' Sitting in the shoulder of the right-hand side of the road, my headlights illuminated my final straw for the night.' A thin male deer with glowing blue eyes and an abnormally large mouth stood there looking into the car. It felt as if time stopped as I made eye contact with this creature, and every hair on my body stood on end. Get out, or I will get you. Was the phrase that crossed my mind as I stared into its glowing blue eyes. I let out a scream and floored the accelerator so hard I almost redlined it. For the rest of the ride, I kept my foot on that accelerator, praying that it wouldn't catch us, knowing it could have gotten us if it wanted to, that nothing we did, no matter how fast we drove, it could have gotten its hands, if it had any, on us. Eventually, we crossed the river that separated the boonies from the more populated part of town, and it seemed after we crossed the water, that oppressive presence was gone. The air felt lighter, and my body didn't hurt anymore. As we pulled into the driveway, Lapis said, Silas, when you turned around to look at me, I tried to warn you not to look behind, but I couldn't. It was like I couldn't control my own body to warn you. Later, after we all settled down, we did a major arcana tarot reading, and this is what it told us. You encountered chaos. Be thankful you're still alive. Do not return. After the message of that reading, we properly cleansed ourselves. Lapis and I made a pact. We would never go back to Old Gun. To those of you reading, I know this sounds fantastical, but I promise it's true. I swear it's true. To the demon or spirit of chaos living in the swamps of Old Gun Church, I got your message. And I promise we will not be back. House of Horror From Stephanie B. 1975 I had a friend since the age of five named Sherry. At the time of this occurrence, we were just entering our senior year of high school, and we had known each other a good long time. I'd been to Sherry's house numerous times over the years, and always had an odd feeling whenever I walked in the door. Granted, her father did give me the creeps, and her mother was flighty, to say the least. But the feeling really had nothing to do with them. It was the house. It was just off. One fall weekend, Sherry had asked me to spend the night at her house. Her parents were going away, and she didn't want to be home alone. So I packed up my overnight bag and waited for her to pick me up. Her home was only a few minutes from where I lived, but on the other side of a highway on the outskirts of town. The night started off like any other teenage girl sleepover. We were gossiping, munching on snacks, listening to music, and playing with her dog, Donatello, named by her little brother after the teenage mutant Ninja Turtle. Her older brother, Ray, came home from work, and we decided to settle down for the evening, turning on the television in her bedroom. After a few minutes, the television began to flip through channels randomly on its own. Sherry smacked the side of the television, hoping to cure it of its random channel flipping. What was weird, though, was that it was stopping and showing programs only of the worst kinds of things, such as death and chaos. It looked random, but it didn't seem random, if that makes any sense. As the channel flipping continued, a coy smile appeared on Sherry's face. What's up? I said. Shh. I bet it's my brother screwing around with the remote, she answered, jerking her head toward her bedroom windows. You see, Sherry's father had built a workshop on the back of their house to repair TVs, radios, and VCRs, so her bedroom windows looked into the workshop, not outside. Since it was dark in the workshop, she surmised her brother could be on the other side of the window with a TV remote, making the channels change. Sherry jumped up flinging open her bedroom door and yelling, Ray... only to trail off suddenly. As I ducked under her arm, she was quite a bit taller than me, I could see why she stopped mid-sentence. Ray was sound asleep on the living room floor. What the heck? was all we could say. Giving each other an uneasy look, we settled once again onto her bedroom floor to watch TV. All of a sudden, the channels began to flip wildly, Sherry reached behind the TV to unplug it from the electrical outlet, but to our horror, the TV stayed on. With that, she picked up the television, ran through the house with it, and stuck it in her father's workshop. Well, on that note, I said. Yeah, she agreed. The two of us decided it was best to just call it a night. Sherry slept on the floor and I slept in her bed. Donatello, the dog, lay between us. After several minutes of neither of us saying a word, still too freaked out about the TV, we began to hear a low growl. Don, what's wrong, dude? Sherry asked her dog. Don whimpered in response and growled again. I looked up at the window, which was behind my head, only to see two red eyes looking in the window just as Donatello exploded into a frenzy of barking and growling. What was that? I screamed. What did you see? I didn't see anything! Sherry yelled back. The commotion woke Ray from his slumber on the living room floor. He ran to Sherry's bedroom, bursting through the door. He asked what was wrong. I told him what I'd seen, and that apparently Donatello had seen it too, because that was when he started going crazy. Ray, who was at least six foot two and 350 pounds not a small guy by any stretch of the imagination, hung his head and very quietly said to us, Yeah, I've seen those eyes too, looking in my bedroom window, and my bedroom window's two stories off the ground. I can honestly say I've never stayed the night at Sherry's again after that incident. I can only think of one more time I was in that house after that. I still tell this story to this day, as it's ingrained deep in my mind I'll never forget the television or those eyes peering in through the window. River, from Guardian Tales I grew up in a house just above a river in Washington State, which is where the following events occurred. I'm the youngest of four children. When I was 12 years old, my oldest sibling was no longer living with us and none of the other children had any experiences with paranormal things of any kind while living in the house. Our house was isolated from everyone. We were literally surrounded by heavily forested woods. I grew up in the quiet of this forest, always alert for bear and elk when out exploring, and falling asleep to the rushing sound of the river at night. I remember only feeling safe when I was out in these woods alone my father was abusive to me and my siblings and my mother he was especially cruel to our pets and would often injure them in front of us i hated him when i was 10 years old he became ill and went to see the doctor and that's where he learned he had acute lymphocytic leukemia and was given approximately six months to live he lived for another two years though one day passing away at home He was buried on the property where he passed. Cremated, his ashes were set into a huge rock, which set below our house in full view in the path of the river. A friend of the family came and drilled a hole into the rock and set the urn inside, then cemented the hole over, leaving it smooth with no inscription. There was no funeral, no memorial service of any kind held. His ashes remain there to this day. Shortly after my father's death, I was alone in the house in the early evening, sitting curled up on the couch, reading. We had a dog at the time named Pete. He was half black Labrador and half Irish Setter. He was a rather large dog, weighing about 100 pounds, and he looked like an overgrown black Irish Setter. Pete was sleeping on the floor at my feet, and across from and to the left a bit from us was the overstuffed chair which had been my father's favorite. I was quietly reading, and Pete was asleep, when I suddenly felt a presence in the room with us. I looked over at the empty chair, and I could see that the seat cushion had compressed several inches as though someone was sitting there right now. The sense of not being alone continued, but I didn't feel afraid. I decided to ignore the phenomena and went back to my book My lack of fear may have been because I could sense no animosity or danger in the presence. It was just there. I remember telling myself that it was just my imagination, and I probably would have believed that, except for Pete. Pete suddenly awoke from a sound slumber and looked over at the empty chair. I remained where I was, quietly watching to see what he would do. He watched that chair for a minute, and then began wagging his tail while lying down, thumping it on the floor. He got up, went over to the chair, and lay down again, curling himself, as though to accommodate feet I couldn't see. He continued to look upward at the chair, while thumping his tail on the floor again. I don't know what he saw. I couldn't see what he did, but I did clearly see the long hair on his neck and shoulders get repeatedly smoothed down in a rhythmic motion, as though someone were petting him. Eventually, the presence went away. Pete went back to sleep, and I continued to read. First Night at the Cabin From Anonymous It was mid to late August 2016, We had just closed on the purchase of a one and a half story log cabin bordering the Washita National Forest. This was a property with about 15 wooded acres, two ponds, and a wet weather creek. I'd fallen in love with the area on the drive to see the property. Driving along the winding mountain highways, I couldn't imagine anything more beautiful to look at than the tree-covered mountaintops. What I saw was a rolling sea of trees a welcome distraction from the shoulderless edges that dropped off into dark, creepy, rocky woods below. The air felt different out here. It was lighter and easier to breathe. I was ready to begin unloading things as soon as we signed the papers to close and were handed the keys. After unloading some of my things, my 8-year-old son and I were back on the road to load up some more things and then drive to pick up my father the next day to show him our new cabin. Once we arrived, it was already pretty late in the evening. Due to our long drive, we were all ready to call it a night. My father passed out in an oversized quilted hammock in the living room, and my son and I had a queen-sized air mattress in the master bedroom upstairs. We hadn't been in bed long before I heard what I presumed to be some unusual birds making a woot sound. There were three distinct vocalizations, I wondered what kind of bird these sounds were from, and why was it so loud at this late hour? Soon I heard little things hitting the glass, as if swarms of bugs were flying into the glass, possibly at the sliding glass door to the back deck. It continued, and it seemed excessive. I went to look to see what it was, and little twigs and pebbles were hitting the deck after bouncing off the glass. I heard something rather large coming from the tree line behind the cabin. I could also hear branches breaking, leaves rustling, and I kept hearing thuds, which sounded like large rocks were being tossed or pounded into the ground. It was so unexpected, but I thought there were many animals accustomed to the property being vacant. It could be a black bear, I thought. However, I then heard the knocking sounds. This was unmistakably the sound of a piece of wood being used to knock into a tree. At that point, all I could think of was Bigfoot. There was a very heavy downpour coming down around 11.30pm. There could have been lightning and thunder, but I didn't really notice. This rain was so heavy, I couldn't be certain if those things were still out there. The noises seemed to have stopped. I didn't even attempt to sleep because I was thinking so many things about what had just taken place. And to be quite honest, I had never actually believed in Bigfoot stories or those shows on TV but did Bigfoot really knock on trees? That always seemed so far-fetched to me. And did Bigfoot make weird hoot and holler sounds? If not a Bigfoot, then what really was it? Finally, the rain stopped, and it still seemed peaceful outside. At least for a while. It wasn't long before the branches breaking and tree-splitting sounds began again, Another set of loud and aggressive knock knock knocking came again on the trees just in front of the cabin, below where we had been the whole night. This was soon followed by a big bam against the cabin wall below. This shook the entire structure and scared the heck out of me. I quickly woke up my son and took him to a room I felt safer to be in. I didn't trust those sliding glass doors and I don't know why I'd think the flimsy office door was safer just being out of sight. I turned on the deck light and the front and back porch lights. I opened the upstairs office window and yelled out, Leave us alone! We're trying to sleep! I checked all the windows, then opened one slightly to listen, and all was quiet now, except my son who was complaining that I woke him up at 4.30 a.m. My dad then woke up, checking all the windows. He started to talk to my son. My dad was upset that I didn't wake him up yet. At daylight, he insisted we go out and walk around the cabin, looking for evidence of this wild experience. I didn't see all the broken branches or big rocks that I'd heard the night before, though I did notice later the tree in front of the porch was nearly split in two. That tree's trunk was easily 8 centimeters around. My father is the one who found footprints which I never would have found myself. They were pressed into the mud through the fallen yellow and brown leaves, and there were three of them, three very large, human-looking footprints. No claws, no nails. There was also an ape-like, juvenile-sized handprint. These prints were going up to the stone walkway, leading to my covered, wraparound porch. My dad insisted that it must be a black bear, but has since become a believer, thinking it may have been Bigfoot. As I write this, I'm wondering if that first woot was an announcement of their presence or greeting. It is strange that they stopped harassing us once the lights came on. I also wonder if hearing my voice directed at them had made some kind of impression. There really should be classes on proper Bigfoot etiquette for moving into their neighborhood. From what I hear, they can be pretty bad neighbors, and if you cross them, they'll come for you. Gold Hill Chupacabra, from C. Philly 100 This story is from my old roommate, and a mutual friend of ours, M and T, respectively. I grilled them both individually and had them retell the story. We used to live in a little log cabin up in Gold Hill, Colorado, the first actually profitable mining town in Colorado and second home to rock star singer-songwriter Stephen Stills of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. We didn't have any running water, but the compound itself is a true Colorado mountain gym, surrounded on all sides by National Forest and BLM. We frequently saw bobcats, coyotes, mountain lions, and black bears, wandering around the grounds with nary a care in the world. West of town by a couple of miles is a forest service road, that takes you out to some pretty massive cliffs. One morning, my two friends, M and T and their dog, Duke Senior, were rock climbing out there. When it started getting dark, they decided to head back to the truck. They somehow got a little turned around and wound up on the wrong ridgeline. They turned around and to their surprise, there was a black bear on the trail behind them. The bear sauntered off, so M and T retraced their route back up to the proper ridgeline. When they made it to the intersection of the two adjoining ridgelines, they saw what they thought was a mangy mountain lion in the failing light up ahead on the hillside. M rushed towards it with his flashlight and shotgun to get a better look. The supposed mountain lion jumped back behind some rocks, and when M got around the corner to get a better look at it, he saw this was no mountain lion at all, but some kind of creepy, cat-like, flesh-covered creature with skinny arms and legs, and razor-sharp claws on its flesh-covered hands. The beast, being cornered, then did something truly strange. It closed one eye, and the remaining open eye started changing colors. It then lifted up its forearms, which had some sort of flesh-like wing flaps, almost like a flying squirrel, connecting from the arms to the body. Then it leapt up into a tree a good 15 to 20 feet away, M followed the thing with his flashlight, as it began to jump from tree to tree, never taking its one eye off of him until soon it was out of sight. During this encounter, Duke Senior had run away, and when M and T got back to their truck, Duke Senior was in the bed of the truck, and that thing was in there with him. M ran to the back of the truck, the creature jumping out and running off into the woods, Duke Sr., a dog that had fearlessly fought off mountain lions and coyotes without so much as a whimper, was now literally shaking with fear. When I asked him what he thought it was, the only thing he could muster was, I don't know man, a chupacabra? The Wailing Resident From Young Atlas These hauntings happened to my family back in 2005. I was 15 when we lived in a house on top of a hill in Selangor, Malaysia. My dad was a director at one of the main city councils, and we were provided a large bungalow to stay during his tenure. We lived there temporarily while our own house was being renovated. This house was located on top of a hill overlooking the city, with a long stretch of road with 10 individual houses for other officers and some privately owned. At the back was the woods, and people rarely drove there as it was owned by the state police. Each house had six rooms and was very spacious. There were no gates between houses. There's a rule here, when a building is left unoccupied for some time, it will be inhabited by otherworldly residents. So some of the houses in that area had families in them but half of them were always empty. And it seemed my family got one of the haunted ones. My parents, younger sister, the maid, and I lived in that house. I had neighbors living in the house on the left. However, the house on the right had been empty for years. Everyone except my sister experienced some weird happenings. The following was what each of us experienced. One month after moving in, Things began to happen at 3:30 a.m. one day. My parents were already up for morning prayer. While my dad was upstairs, my mom went down to the kitchen to make some coffee. The dry kitchen's entrance faced the bottom of the staircase. While she was making coffee with her back facing the entrance, she heard someone walking down the stairs. Then, she felt arms wrap around her abdomen tightly and a resting head on her shoulder with breathing coming down her back. Still groggy from sleep, she let the arms tighten, thinking it was my dad. But then she saw the arms. They were pale, frail, and a bit clammy. The figure was almost the same height as her as well. All these traits did not match my dad. In a panic, she pushed away the figure and turned around. She saw that there was no one there. By then, my dad had just started to come down the stairs. What's up, honey? You alright? He said, when he reached the bottom. He had an eyebrow raised at my mom's panicked state. Did you just hug me? My mom asked. No, my dad responded. I just got down here. Don't mess with me, it's too early for pranks. I swear someone just hugged me, she said nervously. They went quiet for a while, and my dad went around to check the ground floor. He didn't find anything suspicious, so they let it slide. But things were only just beginning. Both my parents were very strong-willed and religious, so I think it liked to challenge them the most. A few weeks after this morning incident, it happened again. The master bedroom had a balcony attached to it, as it was a small space, the balcony only had a wooden door as an entrance. One night at 2am, something began to knock at the balcony door. It started with a soft, continuous knock that woke them both. Then it escalated like someone banging on the door trying to knock it down. ''Who's there?'' my dad shouted, thinking it might be robbers. What replied chilled them to the bone something began to wail at the other side of the door. Quickly getting over his shock, my dad began to get angry and prayed loudly to chase this thing away. The banging reached a peak and stopped. After that deafening sound, there was just silence. Then there came this odd, sweet, flowery scent. They didn't need an explanation to figure out something had visited them. Sometimes on other nights, it was scratching, the sound of sharp nails against that wooden door. The maid's room was the last room in the house, next to the laundry room in the kitchen area. Since the first day of moving in, I got a cold vibe whenever I looked at the dim corridor leading to the maid's room. It was cold, and the darkness under the maid's bed was visible even from the corridor. A few months after moving in, The maid shared with my mom what had been happening around the house when all of us were gone in the morning. Some weird things also happened at night. In the morning, the maid could hear soft footsteps upstairs, and at night, she could hear someone in the kitchen opening the cupboard, clicking the ceramic mugs, and rustling the cutleries. At first, she thought it was one of us, but the kitchen light was never on, and the footsteps could sometimes be heard running in the kitchen, it liked to run across the laundry corridor stopping in front of the maid's room then doing it all over again to her luck her contract finished a few months later and i think she was quite glad to be gone in between my house and the neighbor's house on the left was a mango tree it was big reaching up to the second floor just outside my bedroom window back then i was told that tree had an occupant or an owner After two years living in that house, the tree had a singular mango fruit. It was average-sized, bright yellow, hung low from the tree, and seemed easy enough to pick. But my mom warned us not to pick it, as the neighbor warned us, sometimes at night an occupant could be seen underneath it. But either the neighbor's son didn't get the memo, or just didn't believe in the superstition, because he decided to pluck it. That midnight, their house was visited by a crying figure. It was standing under the tree and was seen wearing a long white dress and it had long black hair flowing down its back. Usually it was quiet, but that night it was wailing and began to circle that house. The house had plenty of glass windows and sliding doors. It woke the neighbor's maid when it stood outside her bedroom window. That window's curtains were closed, but the light from the moon was bright enough to outline the figure. Its sobbing voice was clear outside the bedroom window. It began to tap on it, a sharp nail making a clear sound on the glass. Tap, tap, tap. Then it wailed. The maid, scared out of her wits, quickly shot up, noped out of the room, and ran upstairs to alert my neighbors. When she reached upstairs, the wailing had stopped and my neighbors were awoken by their frantic maid. They slowly went down to check the dark ground floor. Unlike my house, their stairs met the dining room with a large sliding door. The sliding door directly faced that mango tree. The ground floor was dark and was only illuminated by the moonlight shown through the sliding door. Then they saw it. Or now it was them because there were two figures under the tree. One the silhouette of a woman, and the other of a child. My neighbor quickly turned on the lights, but the figures had vanished. The very next morning, the sun placed the mango fruit back under the tree. My late grandmother, Nana, had her share of supernatural happenings when she stayed with us. She was 70 years old, and stayed at the guest room downstairs, as she was too old to sleep on the first floor. This was after our maid left. Every day she would be alone in the house as my parents went to work, and me and my sister were at school. Each time I got home in the afternoon with my mom, we would find Nana sitting quietly in the living room, slightly pale. Later that day, she would complain to my dad that she heard footsteps upstairs, cupboards in the kitchen opening and closing, and she felt a presence watching her from the dark kitchen. Since Nana wasn't the nicest person to my mom, I always brushed it off thinking it was because of her old age. But my parents believed it to be real. As for me, a couple of years after staying there, I started to hear things as well. Maybe I wasn't sensitive enough to detect these things earlier on. 11 p.m. one night when everyone was asleep, I was getting ready for bed. After turning on the radio to a low volume for white noise... I closed my eyes and let slumber take over me. I was just about to doze off when a sharp scream rang out right next to my ear. It was shrill, like a woman being attacked inside my room. My eyes shot open, but my dark room appeared to be empty. My heart seemed to be running a marathon. I quickly got out of bed and turned on my lights. Maybe the radio had an advertisement, I thought. the radio was playing softly. Then I made the dumbest decision in my life. I opened my bedroom door to check. Maybe my dad was watching TV. But I was greeted with the darkness of the hallway. The atmosphere was still and quiet. There was a tension in the dark that beckoned me to come outside. Instead, I closed the door, and I slept with the lights on. After three years there, we moved out, but my last encounter at that place really freaked me out. After moving back to our own home, my mom's potted plants still hadn't been transported yet, so after picking me up from school, my mom made a quick detour to the house. We stopped by at the front gate, but my mother forgot to bring the automatic gate's keys. Since the plants were just outside, I offered to climb up the gate and pick them up. As I mentioned, we had neighbors on the left, but the house on the right had been empty for years. When I climbed up the concrete gate, I heard loud noises that made me stop mid-climb, noises like someone was shaking a glass sliding door violently. I turned towards the noise, and to my horror, it came from the empty house on the right. There, I saw the empty house's dining room sliding door being shaken in its entirety like someone or something was angry that I was trespassing in the area. I broke from my frozen state, leaping off the concrete gate and running straight into the car. My mom, who had witnessed the event, quickly got in the car too and drove off. She turned to me and asked, Are you alright? My face was pale and my hand was shaking. I quietly replied, Yeah, let's get out of here. It's been more than 10 years and thankfully our current house is almost paranormal free. We do from time to time talk about the previous house. I'm glad we don't stay there anymore and I hope the family that lives there now is safe and well. The Thing in My Woods From Vaudrican Not long ago, My friend, Mix, and I were exploring the woods near my house. We both had always felt off when we entered these woods. On this particular occasion, we decided to do a test someone told us about a while ago. We brought two compasses, placed them far enough that they wouldn't interfere with each other. The one on the right pointed diagonally to the left, and the one on the left pointed diagonally to the right, so that if you drew a line from them, they would meet a few feet away. We looked at each other and picked up the compasses. As we looked up, we both noticed a shadow around 30 feet away. We joked a little bit about it, but when we looked again, the thing had gotten closer. We tried to ignore it, continuing onward. I mean, we were in the woods. There were tons of different shadows around, so it didn't feel out of the ordinary to us. As we walked deeper into the woods, we heard a dog barking. It sounded like it was in the middle of the woods. So we drew our knives and began walking at a faster pace to find this dog. We knew that this forest was owned by someone, but there wasn't ever anything built in them, so someone's dog barking out here had never happened before. As we got closer to where we thought the dog was, it barked again, and again. Every time it barked, it seemed to be further away from us. We decided to stop for a moment and look at our surroundings, That's when we heard footsteps, but they weren't next to each other. Each next step was in a new area. If the first step was in front of us, the next would be behind us. It didn't make sense. It did this until it had walked a circle around us of random steps. As we both tried to calm ourselves down, we heard a twig snap right behind us. We swung around, but found nothing. However, we knew something was watching us and probably following us we decided to head back to my house and right as we started walking we heard those footsteps again panicking we ran each time we sped up the footsteps sped up as well keeping pace with us after we got out of the woods i looked back and i saw a shadow the size of a man there was no face only shadow this wasn't the first time either of us had seen this thing but that would be the last time we encountered it. We don't know what was in those woods, but we do know that nothing out there seems to be normal. With that, we're at the end of this week's episode of Unexplained Encounters. Don't worry, I'll be back soon with more scary stories for you to enjoy. If you don't like to wait, subscribe to Darkness Prevails on YouTube to catch new stories sooner. If you want to hear me read your story, send it to me at darkstories.org. Before I go, help us spread the word and reach new listeners. Just share this podcast with your friends and family, follow us on Spotify, and or review us on iTunes. Thank you. Until next time, everyone. Remember, this world is a strange one. So stay safe out there and stay creepy.